Hello and welcome to the Now Spinning podcast and this is episode five I think but I'm absolutely delighted to have with me singer and songwriter Sarah McQuaid who'll be talking about her latest album The St. Burian Sessions and looking back at her career. When I mentioned to the Now Spinning magazine audience that I was interviewing Sarah, I had a lot of comments, including these particular ones who said, Sarah has a voice like melting chocolate, which I thought was perfect, especially after listening to this new album. And another one from a, a friend of mine in a band called Red Shoes says she's an absolute genius when it comes to dadgad tuning. And we're going to talk about that as well later on. As for me, many of you know me know that I am surrounded by guitar-driven music most of my life. But when I heard the St. Burian Sessions last week for the first time, I have to say I was absolutely floored um, with the beauty of this album. And um, soon my wife also came into the room and said, who is this? Is this Sarah's new album? And I have to say I was absolutely floored by the the beauty and the the sheer quality of the, of the songs. But we're going to talk in great depth about this album, The St. Burian Sessions, because I just think it could be potentially one of my albums of the year. So welcome, Sarah, and thank you so much for joining me. So how are you today? I'm great, especially after hearing all that. <laughs> Goodness, what a start to my day. Thank you, Phil. Thanks a million for all the kind words. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, absolutely heartfelt and, and really mean that. We've been playing it nonstop here. Um, it, it's just such a beautiful album. My first question is that you were born in Spain, raised in the USA, lived in Ireland and now live in the far west of Cornwall. Where feels like home when you've been to, in so many different places? You know, believe it or not, I've actually lived in this house in Cornwall longer than I've lived anywhere in, you know, in any in any house or flat or anywhere in my entire life from you know day one onward. So it really does feel like home. I've I've really put down roots here and and I just feel so lucky to be able to live here in this lovely part of the world. And it's been, and it's been really fantastic for my musical development as, as well. Um, I kind of owe Cornwall really for um, a lot of different things for the, for the fact that I'm, uh, you know, focusing on songwriting right now for the fact that I'm touring as much as I am. Um, it was through moving to Cornwall that I met Zoe, who kind of really got me into the songwriting. Zoe of Sunshine on a Rainy Day fame. And we met because our kids were going to the same tiny little school. And then it was co-writing with, with her for the Mama album that we made together that made me really start to see myself as a songwriter. And then it was also through recording the Mama album with Zoe that I met my wonderful manager and sound engineer and now producer as well, Martin Stansbury, who's produced the new St. Burian Sessions albums and has done such a beautiful job on it. And I, I owe Cornwall for that as well. So it's been a fantastic place for me. Let's just touch on that, the sunshine of a, a, the, the, the single you had, because that was a hit, wasn't it? That was really, that was a, so tell us a bit about that and how that came together. Well, well, the Sunshine on a Rainy Day single was Zoe's single that I hastened to add. She had a massive, long before I met her, way back in 1991, um, she was, you know, she was a pop star and she had this massive hit single um, with with that song, which was in the top five of the UK charts for 16 weeks and was a huge hit, you know, out on the dance floors, you know, in Ibiza and all those places. And um, and I didn't actually know about any of that when I met her. I met her just because she was a fellow mum in the school, yeah. the tiny little school here in West Cornwall, only about... 20 odd kids in the entire school ranging in age from from four on up to 11. So tiny little school. And you really got to know the other parents. And I got to know Zoe and we got to be friends. And she was at my house one time um, and we were noodling around on guitars. And she said, oh, let me play you this song I've just written. And I she played me the song and I said, that's a beautiful song. But I couldn't really understand the words that you were singing. Could you could you just write them down for me? And she said, oh, oh, I don't have any words for it. I was just singing gibberish. That's why you couldn't understand. And I said, well, um, would you like some words? Yeah. <laughs> and, and she said, oh, could you? And we started writing together. And it wasn't it wasn't just her doing the music and me doing the words. It was um, that's how it started. But but it really became a truly kind of collaborative process where we would, you know, start out with just a germ of a song idea and and work it up together into a song. And 
And just um, somebody of that high caliber actually being interested in working with me as a songwriter up to that point, I'd, you know, I had, I had songs of my own on, on, on all my previous recordings. I, you know, I, I think I had one original song on my first album, two original songs on my second album, but I kind of, I thought of myself as a folk singer who happened to write an occasional song and then working with Zoe, first of all, just taught me so much about songwriting and, and just opened me up to all the possibilities of it. And then also just gave me the confidence to think, you know, maybe this is something I should do and something I should actually work on and actually make an effort to write yeah. new material, you know? And um, and subsequent to that, the the all the albums that I've made since then um, have focused on my own new material but but yeah Zoe and I we did we did a kind of an acoustic reworking uh, of of Sunshine on a Rainy Day as well which is also on the Mama album as well as all the songs that we co-wrote together so it was just such a brilliant thing to be involved in and I'm so grateful. Brilliant when I listen to your voice uh, I can hear Joni Mitchell Christian Hirsch, Janice Ian, Eva Cassidy, Karen Carpenter. Who were you most influenced? <laughs> who were you most influenced by when you were when you were growing up, or who who do you still feel influenced by now? Oh wow, you're making my day here. Um, I, I love every single singer that you've mentioned there. They've all certainly been influences. Um, growing up, I listened to an awful lot of Joni Mitchell. Um, I used to, I had a, I had a walk to school and back that was just about long enough to sing my way through the entirety of Blue by Joni Mitchell from memory, which I used to do pretty much on my way to and from school every day. And um, unless I was lazy and took the bus, but I didn't take the bus very (laughs) often because I I preferred walking. It was a nice way to to kind of start the day. And um, yeah, I listened to lots of Joni Mitchell. It was Joni Mitchell who kind of got me into the songwriting, who also got me into the dadgad uh, guitar tuning that I, well, well open tunings generally. Um, and uh, and then singing-wise, another big influence, I think, although, you know, I wouldn't compare myself to her for one second, but jo- um, Ella Fitzgerald was also a big influence. I, my mother was big into Ella Fitzgerald and and she had you know those songbooks albums yeah. Ella Fitzgerald sings the Rogers and Hart songbook Ella Fitzgerald sings the Cole Porter song. and um I think it was the the just the effortless quality of Ella Fitzgerald's singing that I always tried to emulate and I you know yeah. I don't I don't know if I'll ever get there you know I'd love to but but uh that she's she's kind of my model and ideal when it comes to singing. Wow, thank you. And obviously guitar playing, um, which you're going to talk a great deal about really, is that when I listen to you, obviously John Martin's in there. I can there's a lot of John Martin in your in your playing, but there's John Redbourne, Gordon Giltrap again, were these people influenced? Did you is that what drew you to open tunings? Yeah. Uh, what, what what initially drew me to open tunings was first of all Joni Mitchell. And then I discovered all the Wind and Hill guitarists. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, people yeah. like Alex Degrassi and Willie Ackerman, Michael Hedges, who I actually saw perform. Actually, I saw Alex Degrassi and Michael Hedges in person uh, back when I was a university student. I, I went and yeah. saw them in concert, and that was amazing. Wonderful concerts to be able to go to. And, um, and so I was kind of randomly tuning my guitar in different ways you know just kind of experimenting with the songs that I could get and and writing long involved guitar instrumental pieces that were probably very pretentious and kind of boring for anyone to listen to but um so I was working on open tunings and then I I got playing I went off to study in France for a year when I was 18 and joined a traditional Irish band of all things and started playing with them and it was a French guitarist who came up and said you know I see you're using different tunings and you're doing a drop D and things like that. Have you ever tried Dadgad? And I said, no, it's Dadgad. And he said, oh, it's it's the tuning that all the Irish players are using and people like John Renborn and Bert Yanch and so on use it as well. And and I knew about them because I, I was a big fan of the Pentangle oh, as yeah, well. I loved, I, I can remember, I think I was 13 the first time I ever heard the Pentangle on the radio. And it was one of those shows where they do a big long series of bits of music and then back back announce the whole lot and I made myself late to school because I was so keen to find out 
what was that track? And I was writing down and I was keeping kind of a tally of, you know, all these tracks that came after it. So I could, so I could know which was the track um, that, that I'd been excited by. And it was Pentangle Waltz. And I still remember that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I started working in Dadgad and I learned that people, people like um, John Renborn, Pierre Ben Susan, another wonderful player who plays only in Dadgad. So he would have been a big influence too. And, um, and, and you know who else's guitar I love and, and again, maybe try and emulate in some way is um, Nick, Nick Drake. Nick Drake, um, of course. I, I, I have all, I have every album that, Drake ever made and and I love them all and, and they're so short it's it's you know it's like half an hour long you're like oh but I just have to go back to the beginning again and start over um but yeah I, I love the way with Nick Drake's playing and this is something I kind of strive for myself the way you get the feeling it's not just the guitar accompanying the voice it's not you know vocal and then backing it's the guitar is kind of doing a duet with the voice. So the two are kind of equally important. And, uh, and that's something I always try and do. And I always try and do something a little bit different on the guitar with every song that I, that I learn or that I write, you know, so I'm not just doing the same kind of basic pattern over and over again. I always try and again, try and make it a bit more like a duet. I think that's a that's a wonderful way of putting it because a lot of people will think that especially with singer songwriters it's the there's the voice and it's backed by the guitar but as you've said that the guitar is another voice it, as you say doing a duet to to make the song even more powerful and that's certainly what how I see Nick Drake and Dagad has been com- something that's a big part of your of your career in 2017 you presented with the Lifetime Achievement Award which had only been previously given to people like John Martin and John Redbourne and you've written a book uh, which came out in 1995 so you are seen now as the Dagad kind of person to go to and I say that one of my friends who plays in a band in the Midlands said I think has been to one of your workshops and this is something you do quite a lot of so how, how did that all come about writing the book and now doing the workshops well um, writing the book came about by accident um, like most of my life <laughs> it's all been pretty accidental um, I was proofreading a book I have a background in journalism as well I worked as a journalist and magazine editor for a number of years before I became a full-time musician and so a friend of mine who had written uh, a Bauron tutor you know the Bauron the Irish frame goatskin drum he'd written a tutor for it for a music publishing company called Ossian Publications um, based in Cork in Ireland and and uh, he asked me to proofread it and so I did. And we went into the offices of the publishers right before the book was due to go to print, just so I could take a last look over the proofs and make sure I hadn't missed anything. And I did that. And then as we were walking out the door, I said over my shoulder to the publisher guy, uh, I said, well, you know, if you ever want a book about Irish dadgad guitar tuning, you know, let me know. And he said, come back in, come back in, sit down. <laughs> How soon can you have this book ready? How much would it cost me? <laughs> and... Um, yeah, he said he'd been looking for somebody to write a dadgad book uh, for ages and there was a huge demand for it. And could I have it written within the next three months, please? And they would publish it. So, okay. Wow. <laughs> and uh, So I did that book. And then on foot of the book, I wound up um, being, you know, invited to give workshops at festivals and in music schools and so on. I've just finished giving a week long uh, residential guitar workshop just last week at uh, Halsway Manor in, in Somerset, this wonderful wow. kind of folk school where they do courses all year round on different things, um, everything from, you know, nickel harpa to how to make a banjo, you know, <laughs> all these interesting courses. And they invited me to come and, and teach for a week uh, all about the dadgad tuning and guitar. So, and then getting that Lifetime Achievement Award, that was, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I was kind of, I, I wasn't quite ready for a Lifetime Award. <laughs> Gosh, I really am becoming, you know, Eminence Grease, more Grease by the minute. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, and and I would like to do a follow-up book at some point because when I wrote that Dadgad book, I was still really immersed in the traditional Irish scene. And so the book is kind of all about, you know, backing jigs and reels and so on and playing jigs and reels. It's a lot yeah. of melodic playing comes into it too. 
And, uh, but since then I've, you know, again, got more into writing my own songs and I, and I use Dadcad for everything. I find it works beautifully for, you know, any, any song I've either written or, or learned like I did, you know, on, 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 on my, um, last album on on uh, the one that Michael Chapman produced yeah. who's another guitar influence I should have mentioned by the way Michael was a massive influence and real musical yeah. mentor for me um on that album I recorded a cover version of uh Forever Autumn by, by oh, Jeff yes. Wayne yeah. you know, yeah. and, and Gary Osborne and Paul Vigress and uh you know and I've had that work beautifully in Dadget and I did some lute music in Dadget so it really took tuning and, and I'd like to write more about it and I've been doing for my Patreon supporters I've been doing a series of how to play videos uh which I've got to get back to I've got kind of behind on it because of all the stuff with the album release and everything yeah. like that the tour but um I will get back to those videos and I'm doing um, these videos and also um, handouts, you know, sheet music and tablature and so on, which is eventually, I hope, going to be a follow-up book to my Irish dad get guitar book, which is still in print. Um, Hal Leonard and uh, Novello and Company have it. Um, and it's still selling worldwide, which is just amazing. I get, I well, get royalties from it every year. Well, it's, ever, it's evergreen content, isn't it, as they say? So it's, it's, it's timeless. And uh, so I guess that must have opened up quite a few doors for you, as you say, worldwide in people asking you to come over and and teach and do workshops. Mm. And um, you obviously love doing those. I mean, is that something that now as we come out of um, all the lockdowns around the world, it's something you do you do along? Do you do that alongside your tours? Do you sort of slot them in as you go and do gigs? Yes. Um, What I always you know, I, I always mention to venues um, when I'm booking a, a concert, you know, I kind of say, well, if you'd like a workshop as well, I also give workshops, you know. So quite often I wind up doing a workshop on, say, the afternoon of concert. In fact, I just booked a gig in Dublin for, for next year yeah. where I'm going to be doing exactly that, giving a like a 90 minute workshop at um, I think it's half past two or three in the afternoon and then doing an evening concert in the wow. same place. So that's that's something I do quite a lot. I'm always delighted when it happens. Fantastic. Now, over the years, you've released many albums, uh, such as When Lovers Meet, which was the first album I actually bought of yours, uh, Crocuarted Buffalo, Plum Tree and The Rose, Walking Into White. And if we dig any deeper, it could get dangerous, which is a fantastic title. Now, each one has some absolutely magical moments. And you were saying earlier that some that some have got some just acu- uh, instrumental guitars, but I love those tracks. Um, you were saying earlier that some people might not be that. They are, they are a voice on, on their own. But on your latest album, the St. Burian Sessions, you feature songs from many of these. And was it easy to choose which ones you were going to put on the album? Um, well, you know, I, I chose as many as I could, and there were some that I was really sad to leave out, you know, <laughs> that I'm still going to do in my live set anyway, because um, I, I couldn't, you know, I would have, uh, every song that I've written um, has kind of developed and grown since I originally recorded it. And and so, um, you know, I, I really wanted to, to kind of have a, a record of them, literally a record of them. Yeah. Um, how they are now because you know some of those songs like uh, Charlie's Gone Home which I recorded on my very first album When Two Lovers Meet back in 1997 uh, and um, and then I did a song from the second album as well from I Won't Go Home Till Morning which came out in 2008 and I did Last Song from that album both of those songs have been really special songs for me um, over the years they've been songs that have figured in a lot of concerts as requests from the audience. People say, oh, will you play that one? And and again, they've both changed and, and kind of grown and developed so much since I originally recorded them. And, you know, and then I, I, I think I've got songs from every one of my albums. I've got songs from Plum Tree and the Rose and from Walking into White and from If We Dig Any Deeper. And, uh, and, and then also, obviously, the two new covers um, that I guess we're going to touch on in a minute that... that, that yeah. Uh, that I hadn't recorded previously. So I, 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 I guess, you know, and, and Martin, of course, had an influence as well and as producer in terms of which songs we chose. He, he had views on, you know, songs that really had to be on the album and, you know, songs that he felt weren't 
you know, could, could, could maybe be left off, but still form part of the live set. So, um, yeah, we sat down and we hammered it out. And, and I had to consider as well how the songs would work from, with each other as a, you know, as a song sequence. As And, and I had to consider, um, you know, having songs in different meters and rhythms and having slower ones and faster ones and happier ones and sadder ones. All those things that you think of when you're putting an album together. I think um, I think it, the the way the songs sit together is just perfect. It sounds like if anyone buying this album and then coming to see you would probably love to to just hear the whole song done in that in that sequence. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention on this is because it, it it's such a magical album, and if it hadn't been for COVID, I mean, if it had been like a live album with you doing introductions and all the crowd clapping and stuff. I don't know, but I don't think it would have been as magical. Or you may not have thought about doing, shall we record a live album without an audience? Would it, would that have even entered your mind if we hadn't been in this situation? No, it wouldn't. And I don't for a minute um, wish that COVID hadn't, you know, we wish that COVID, <laughs> Uh, I no, don't for a minute not wish that COVID hadn't happened. That was a complicated sentence to get out. Yeah. But um, but it is it is a good thing, a silver lining, if you like, that this album came out of it. Because you're right, I had one, I'd been wanting to make a live album for some time. Uh, and it was always in my head to do and uh, and to make, you know, a video as well um, to you know, to, to do, you know, either a concert video or, or a series of videos or whatever. And we had kind of been thinking about doing that um, the summer after what was supposed to be a massive, very busy three months of touring in March, April, May 2020. Well, we all know how that turned out. Yes. And so um, when my tour got cut short after the first two weeks in March 2020 and I had to dash home, um, I was talking with Martin, what are we going to do, you know, and um, we, we, we had the idea, I think it was Martin's idea, actually, just to go ahead and do that live album minus audience and film it. And the advantage of that was that we would be able to film the whole thing in a way that we wouldn't have been able to film a live concert with an audience in terms of having cameras coming right up into my face and getting really close up angles and, you know, being able to stop and change lenses between songs and things like that. We did it as a live set. We didn't want to interfere with the live feel of it, but it was quite nice yeah. actually to be able to have those pauses between songs, you know, readjust everything, change lenses um, and move, move stuff around. And then, on to the next song and and that's how we did it and it was just a wonderful way to make an album and I think it was partly because of the setting of the church which was such a beautiful setting and again something we might not have been able to do so easily with an audience what Martin did was he went around and placed these little pairs of microphones all around the space you can see them in some of the videos and the these little crisscrossed yeah. microphones um, in the foreground in amongst the church pews just to capture the acoustic sound of the building itself. And, and having that mixed in with the close microphones that were on my voice and guitar and so on, it was just really, really, really magical. And I'm so happy with the result. It, it is it is breath it is breathtaking. Um, the first time I played it, and obviously the the first song, "Sweetness and Pain," which is just you on your own, and you can almost close your eyes and feel like you're in the church. I mean, the the, the recording is so pure. Um, it's just it is absolutely am, am, amazing recording. Um, it really is. And also, the you played the this grand piano there, which is unusual for a church to have a grand piano. And you played that as well, because we haven't touched on that, but obviously you, you play piano and, and, and you play beautifully. What was it like playing that? I mean, it... Oh, thank you. Yeah, the piano in the church um, belongs actually to the St. Burian Male Voice Choir. Uh, <laughs> right. It was left to them in a legacy and they have their rehearsals in the church. And so the, the piano is in the church, but it doesn't belong to the church. It belongs yeah. to the choir. And they very kindly gave me permission to use it 
for the recording, which is wonderful because it's just a beautiful, beautiful instrument. It's a Yamaha concert brand, fabulous caliber of piano and perfectly in tune as well, uh, which I was amazed at. But it's got its own kind of special heating system to keep it all wow. balanced and in Gosh. tune and everything like that. So a real privilege to play an instrument like that. And that was another lovely thing about being able to do the recording inside that church. Fantastic. Now, the area of Cornwall in which you live, and in fact, all of us really live, really, is rich in Celtic legends and mysteries. And the Cornish singer Brenda Wooden also founded the Piper's Folk Club in St. Burian. Now, did you feel connected to all this heritage and culture while performing these songs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, it's not my culture, it's not my heritage, but it's my adopted <laughs> culture and heritage, if you like. And um, And I'm so grateful to be part of it and you know the folk club was long gone by the time I moved to St. Burian but in fact it's named after it was named after the Piper's Stones which are a pair of standing stones just outside the village they they were apparently musicians uh, pipers literally that were turned to stone for making music on the Sabbath that's the story anyway and uh, and and it's also where the, the the community choir that I belong to, which we just did a concert last night in St. Burian Church, actually, which is just yes. so fantastic to be out singing choral music again, because that's another real love. Of, of course. Mine, so the Piper's Choir is there as well. And they're also part of that legacy. But, yeah, people like Michael Chapman used to play in the Village Hall in St. Burian, where I've, I did a concert once in the Village Hall. And I also... On my last album, If We Dig Any Deeper, It Could Get Dangerous, I did a video of the song The Tug of the Moon, which you can see on YouTube, which was filmed yeah. in the Village Hall with loads of local people in St. Burian taking part. I, we, had a, we decided to make the setting, uh, because the song deals with um, New Year's Eve and the, the, the leap second that we had on New Year's Eve, we, 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 we made the setting kind of a New Year's Eve party in a village yeah. hall and all, all these people who live in the local community were up dancing and oh, I, wow. I'm filmed that I'm on stage you know singing and playing the electric guitar while they're all dancing you know under the moon and it's it's just a beautiful video and we did that in St. Burian Village Hall and I certainly felt the the kind of the oh I think you know places like the church and the hall they they kind of take on if it's if, this is going to sound maybe a little bit airy fairy or something, but I feel like they do take on some of the spirit of the people who've passed through it and the music that's happened there and everything that's that's taken place and and it all adds to, as you say, the magic. You know, yeah. it's it's all part of it. No, no, I I'm, I'm, I fully I fully believe in all that. And now the the songs and the performances all sound really intimate, as if for for me, the listener, that you're performing just for that person but so when I when I first heard the album I thought it is like as if you're sitting right in front of me I'm sitting in about the second pew in the church and you'll play and then of course I realized you'd actually as you mentioned earlier you'd filmed all of it now did that add any extra pressure the fact you were being filmed because for, for some musicians or performers just performing is enough but stick a tv camera in front of them and they suddenly it takes on a different dynamic. How did you, did it make any difference to you being filmed like that? Yeah, I mean, I think pressure is good as long as it doesn't make you freeze up, you know? And and I have, I, I, I have had times that I've gone through where I've had incredibly bad debilitating performance anxiety and, you know, I had, you know, chattering teeth and shaking hands and my legs kind of turn to jelly. And it's, it's, it's actually physically difficult to play in those circumstances, but I've always managed to get through it. Thank heavens. And I suppose every time you get through something like that, then, you know, you can get through it and it, it makes you think, okay, the next time, you know, and, and the thing that I find helps to get through that and helps you to keep from getting distracted by things like cameras and so on, you know, which can happen in a concert as well is just to focus completely on the music. Just put everything out of your mind except the actual song that you're singing or the piece of music that you're playing and just stay focused on that. And I think the act of doing that, even if the purpose of doing that is just to keep you from getting distracted and anxious, yeah, I think just having to do that can, can really bring out something in the music that maybe wouldn't be there otherwise. So maybe having that extra layer of pressure on you 
helps to bring out something extra and 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 something a little bit stronger in the performance. Yeah, you mentioned there's two cover versions on on the album. Would you like to talk about those? Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, um, I've been doing for a while. It, it kind of came out of um, doing uh, Forever Autumn live. I, I noticed just while noodling one day, everything happens while noodling. <laughs> I always advise guitarists in my workshops, just noodle, you know, <laughs> things will develop out of it. But I was noodling one day and I noticed that that final chord of Forever Autumn segued really beautifully into Autumn Leaves, um, which I've heard loads of people singing, including Eva Cassidy, who you mentioned yeah. earlier, but also Edith Piaf, um, um, Eric Clapton. Yeah, the yeah. gorgeous version of Autumn Leaves. And um, also, you know, so it's a song I've always loved. And uh, and so I, I I started just singing it after after Forever Autumn. And then people kept coming up to me at concerts and saying, have you got Autumn Leaves on a on, on an album? I really yeah. love your version of that. So I, that was always going to be I, it was kind of on the list to be a cover for the next album, whatever the next album was. So I knew I was going to do Autumn Leaves and St. Burian Sessions. And then Michael Chapman had his 80th birthday in January of this year. And in, I guess it was in, it was in 2020 in, in, um, around about the time we were making yeah. plans for the St. Burian sessions around about May, 2020, I got an email from his wife, Andrew. Um, and she said she was putting together a CD for his 80th birthday of other artists performing Michael's songs. And, uh, you know, I'm by far the smallest name on the list. It's it's all heroes and heroines of mine doing Michael Chapman songs. Um, Lucinda Williams, Kurt Vile, um, you know, all, all these, all these yeah. great, Meg Baird, you know, loads of, loads of wonderful names. Um, but she asked me to, to choose a song of Michael's to record and to be part of that. And I'd always loved the song Rabbit Hills. I think it's just a beautiful song. It's, uh, I, I get very emotional when I hear it, you know, and uh, just the words, they paint this beautiful picture and and just kind of capture an emotion. And so when when Andrew asked if I would do a recording of one of my of, of one of Michael's songs and, and I said, oh, can I do Rabbit Hills? And she said, yes. And I thought, you know, I may as well do the recording since I've already arranged to go into this beautiful space where there just happens to be a beautiful grand piano. And, you know, if you're going to record a Michael Chapman song, why play guitar on it? You know, you can't, you can't do what Michael did on guitar. So why not do a piano arrangement of a Michael Chapman song? And then I'm actually bringing something a little bit different to it. And um, so we made it part of the recording and Andrew very kindly said, yes, you feel free to use it on on the St. Burian Sessions album as well. And that's what we did. And I'm so glad that we did because, um, you know, it was it was just such a blow to, to me and to so many people out there when when Michael left us um, yes. earlier this month, you know, tremendously sad and I'd actually been planning to go and, and see him and Andrew in November as part of my November tour, which I should mention as well. I've yes, got this yes. great big tour taking me all, all across the country from Penzance to Aberdeen and back again. And uh, and I've been planning to visit them and 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 hand Michael a copy of the of the album in person. So it was just devastating that I I can't I can't yeah do that now. But um, I'm glad that I recorded the well, song. What was it like working with him on your your last album? The because you worked with him extensively on that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, it was Michael who, if it weren't for Michael, I wouldn't be playing an electric guitar. I wouldn't have an electric guitar if it weren't for Michael. I've still got his guitar. Um, but uh, yeah, it was Michael. We it was During one of the visits, um, I'd, I'd met Michael when we uh, were both playing at the Trowbridge um, Festival in Wiltshire. Yeah. Um, back in 2014 and we got to be friends and they actually organized a gig for me, Michael and Andrew at their local cricket club in Cumbria. Yeah. At which Michael was my support act, which is really hilarious for me and everybody else. There. Like, I remember the MC saying, you know, oh, we like to invite a young up and coming artist to, <laughs> to play support. Here's Michael Chapman. So, um, 
Yeah. Um, and then during one of the visits, Michael had said, why don't you let, are you going to make another album? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, well, why don't you let me produce it? And I said, okay. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and then he handed me this beautiful electric guitar and said, play this. And I had never in my life played an electric guitar before. And, and if it had been anybody but Michael, I probably would have said, ah, you know, I'm kind of an acoustic guitar player. I'm not really bothered about electric, but um, he handed it to me, plugged it into an amp, and I started experimenting with the different sounds I could make with it. And it just blew me away. And I thought, wow, this is a whole different animal. You know, yeah. I, I still love acoustic guitar. Yeah, course, yeah. First love, you know, and I, but electric, it, there's different stuff that comes out of it, you know, and different songs and different pieces of music come out of it, which I probably wouldn't have written if it weren't for that guitar. Um, so, and then he gave me the guitar on long-term loan and I still have it and I'm still getting music out of it that I wouldn't have got otherwise. And uh, so, so yeah, that was fantastic. And then just recording the album, Michael came in and stayed in, my house for for two weeks um while we were doing the recording for if you dig any deeper and and i have to admit i find it i found it hard to keep up <laughs> he was that man um he 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 was all up for having big long chats over a glass of wine you know yeah. every night and i just couldn't do it couldn't keep up. the first night i was trying to be the good host and stay up and and then i wound up just having to leave him to it and go off to bed because otherwise i was i wasn't going to be able to sing in the morning, but, uh, but it was fantastic and he just made for a lovely vibe and um you can actually hear michael at the end of there's a track um on if we dig any deeper it could get dangerous which is also on the new album i've re-recorded it live for the new album it's a guitar instrumental that i play on michael's electric guitar yeah and um and when i when i went into the studio to record it i wasn't actually sure whether the piece of music was finished because yeah. it was, I was kind of doing it kind of improvisationally, and it, it kept coming out a little bit differently every time. And Michael said, "Well, look," he said, "Just sit down and play it, and we'll hit record, and uh, you know, play it through as many times as it takes, and we'll we'll just figure out which is the one." And I think it was the second time I played it through. Um, Michael said, while the final note was still ringing out, he said, "That's the one." And you could actually hear, you hear his voice, the the, uh, um, the mic on the guitar amp uh, picked up his voice in the background. It looks, it sounds a little weird because it's coming through a microphone that was trained on a guitar amp and not on him sitting on the other side of the of the room. But uh, yeah, you hear him say, that's the one. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> there he is. Another key part of your sound, as you said, is, is Martin Stansbury. And you've worked with, with him for about 10 years now. Because although it's a live album, there's, there's parts to, unless you read the notes, you think, how did she do that? Because you've got those bit when I think Martin's using different loops to bring in yeah. your vocal harmonies. Mm. Was, was, that, uh, was, that, was that Martin's idea to, to do that? Yeah, completely. Um, we, we first did that on, um, oh, let me think. It, Martin and I actually started working together uh, back in 2008. So I think it's, it's, it's 14 years now wow, wow. Gosh, that we've been working together, but um, it was for an out. There was a track on that album um, called uh, that I, that I brought out in 2008. I won't go home till morning called uncloudy day. And, and on the recording of it, I kind of, I did backing vocals on the recording and did kind of an echo to the voice. And, um, I was doing the song live and I said to Martin, you know, it's too bad. It's too bad. We can't have the little echo of my voice coming through the way it is on the album. That's really nice. And he said, I can do that. <laughs> and he said, I said, Oh, could you? <laughs> Great. <laughs> and so we started doing it on an unclouded day. And then, then I made my, um, the third album, uh, the plum tree and the rose. And there's a song on that called in Derby cathedral that has a little round or cannon at the end of it. And that's also on the St. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Album. Yeah. And, um, and I was starting to do that live. And I said to Martin, you know what you do for the echoes on Uncloudy Day? Could, could we use that same kind of echo thing so that I can sing the three-part round with myself at the end of Vindarby Cathedral? And he said, yeah, I can do that. 
<laughs> great. And um, yeah, so then, of course, um, on, on If We Dig Any Deeper, uh, by that time, I was well used to it and, uh, and, and had every expectation that I could be a three-part you know, uh, a trio of backing singers <laughs> for myself and, and do it all live. It's all done live. There's nothing pre-recorded. Um, we just lay down the loops as, as we go for the, for the backing vocals. And, and he runs it all um, from the desk end. So I don't have to mess with any foot pedals or anything. He does it uh, using his laptop, which is tied into the sound desk. And it really, it really adds something, I think, to be able to do that, especially with me being a solo performer. It's nice to be able to, to have um, some extra, extra voices, even if they're my extra voices. No, I think it's, I think it's a really, really clever touch. And I think it's, it, it sounds fantastic. It really, it sounds very, very effective. At the beginning of this year, obviously, we'd still got COVID when we were in the middle of a lockdown. You made the decision to release like a series of videos for this album leading up to October the 15th when the album actually comes out. Um, it's really, really, really um, strategic marketing campaign as well, but again, triggered by the events that we found ourselves in. But would you do something like that for any future releases, do you think? I don't know. Um, it, it would depend. I mean, I mean, certainly, yeah, I, I'd always like to have future releases supported by video. I think video is really important. But um, the reason we did that whole series of videos and putting them out as premieres and having the premieres be kind of participatory things where people would log in and yeah. put comments, comments in the chat and, and everything like that, that was kind of... That was my way of trying to keep in touch with people when I couldn't be out on the road performing and, and to be able to kind of be connected to my audience that way uh, via the videos. Because I, I know a lot, of, a lot of musicians were doing live streamed gigs from their living rooms. Yeah. And I just didn't want to do that. I, I wasn't keen on the idea of trying to, trying to perform by myself in complete isolation. The thing about doing the St. Burian Sessions videos was even though I didn't have an audience, I had Martin there, I had the, the Morgan and John, the film crew there, and I had the space, this beautiful, inspiring yeah. space and, and kind of, I don't know, again, you know, like that, the, the spirits <laughs> like, yeah. of, of all the people who'd been through there and all that was my audience. So I had an audience and I could feel like I, I was performing to an audience, whereas sitting at home talking to I can I can barely believe that you're actually there <laughs> on the other side of the, of the screen talking to me you know it's it's really it's really hard I'd much I'd be much happier if if we were chatting together in a room in person and so so the videos were my way of 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 doing that and putting them out over such a long period of time just because I knew it was going to be a long yeah. period of time before I could get out on the road and perform in person again um, but it was it was a lovely it was a lovely thing to do and it was really fun to to get the kind of chat responses you know live as as the videos were rolling out for the first time to have people saying oh this is lovely you know that was it was really nice the um the actual the, the actual track list in the 15 tracks is it some it's like the perfect set list um I mean, is it something you think you'll be able to perform th literally the whole album in live did you think that I when you were putting do. it together yeah i didn't think that when i was putting it together actually but it would depend on the format because it's like if I was ever asked to do a 75 minute set, which I sometimes am, then yes, it would run very nicely as a set. Yeah. But um, this is going to get into well, very technical stuff. But when I, when I perform live, it's usually two 45 minute sets. Uh, and right. in each of those 45 minute sets, you have to have a trajectory. You know, I, I'm super careful about writing set lists. You know, it's very important to kind of, ease people into it and then kind of reach a kind of a climax and, and, yeah, and, and, and you want yeah. them and you want them going away from the first set of the evening, kind of humming and feeling upbeat and happy. So they go off to the bar and drink and then go up to the merch table and buy your CDs yeah. <laughs> just to be mercenary about it. And then, and then you want them and then you want to send them away from the end of the evening and maybe a bit of a more peaceful contemplative mood, you know? So, so yes, last song is always great ending song for sure. I nearly always leave that to, to yeah. the encore at the end of the night and then sweetness and pain starting acapella. I find 
it's it's a really nice way to start a gig. First of all, it means I don't have to mess about tuning the guitar. I can just walk walk out on stage and start singing. You know, I don't yeah. have to pick up the guitar and go, oh, am I in tune? Yes, I'm in tune and get the guitar in place, stand at the right position. You know, I can just get get out there and sing. And that's a really nice way for me to be able to start a concert and to kind of settle myself into it, you know, before I start doing the guitar stuff. So starting with Sweetness and Pain and finishing with Last Song, for sure, is something I'm probably going to be doing live for for a while. But how the songs go in between kind of depends more on on, on the format of, of that particular night. And also, um, for you know, for a, for a full concert, there's a couple of more songs than than just the fifteen that are yeah. that are in the, on the uh, on the album. So the Saint Bernard Sessions comes out on October the fifteenth, and it's available in on CD and also vinyl. This one is this the first time you've released a vinyl album? It's the second time. Oh, the I second released time. if we dig any deeper, it could get dangerous yeah. on vinyl as well. Um, I've nearly run out of that. Actually, that's gonna that's 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 probably gonna sell out at some point. Um, so, which is why I I hadn't quite twigged. I should have done that one as a limited edition um, because it is gonna be a limited it's edition it. unless I suddenly get rich and can afford to repress it. But um, but the Saint Burian sessions. You know, I I knew I was only ever, especially because it's a double LP, because 72 minutes of music is more than you can fit on a single LP without sacrificing sound quality. So it was always going to have to be a double record set, which just makes it even more expensive to make. And we thought, right, if we're going to spend all this money, let's let's do it nicely. Let's put it on. So it's on blue vinyl, which is going to look really cool. What what formats is it going to be available for? And 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 tell us where where, where we can buy it and where's the best place for you, if you'd like us to get it from. Okay, it's on it's it's available as a digital download. If you want to just, you know, have it on your, you know, your your iTunes or Spotify, you can just do it that way. Um, It's available as a CD as well um, with the with a nice little booklet and everything like that that goes with it. It's also available as the as the limited edition double LP, every copy of which is numbered by the manufacturer. So, you know, which number you're getting out of 300 and um, and it's on the nice blue vinyl and everything like that. And the CD is available in your local record store. You can just go in and it's it's distributed worldwide through proper distribution. So you can support your local record shop by buying the CD there. Um, the vinyl is only available directly from me because it's such a limited edition. And and because I don't... I don't really make any money on the vinyl, to be honest. It was kind of a vanity project. <laughs> so so I certainly couldn't afford to be having it going out at, 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 at a dealer price. Um, so so that's only available through my website. If you go to sarahmcquaid.com, S-A-R-A-H-M-C-Q-U-A-I-D.com, uh, and, um, and the shop page of my website will take you straight through to my Bandcamp page, which functions as my shop. I really love the people at Bandcamp, and they've been so good about supporting artists through Bandcamp Fridays where they don't take any commission for yeah. um, for selling um, albums through their platform. And uh, it's a fantastic company. So I'm happy to have my merch shop with them. And then and I can will- sign it as well. I can, you know, if people buy the CDs directly from me via Bandcamp, you can put in the comments exactly what sort of personal message you'd like it signed through. And I can do all that. So it's a really nice way to do it. Well, I'll add all the links to your website and your Bandcamp page to the comments on this video and on the podcast as well. But um, I'd also like you to, you also, you're on Patreon, aren't you? So people can support you in other ways as well. Can you tell us a bit about what you do for patrons? Yeah, Patreon has been an absolute lifesaver, as have the Arts Council, I should mention, and PRS and Help Musicians UK. I've had grants from all of those to help me get through because Otherwise, I, I, you know, I, we wouldn't have been able to buy food. You know, simple as yeah. that. You know, I'm I'm a full time musician, and uh, and my husband's an artist, so we're not exactly rolling in. <laughs> yeah. And um, and and Patreon was an absolute lifesaver. Um, it's it's a way people can support musicians by pledging X amount per month, and it doesn't. Have, it can be as little as one pound a month, or one dollar, or one euro, wherever you are. Um, you can do it in any currency you like. Um, and uh, you just pledge X amount a month to support musicians like myself. I know a lot of other musicians who are on it too. Um, I think, I think my, my, my great 
friends in the band Hungry Town have actually just started their their Patreon yeah. page this week. Um, so it's it's a lovely way, and I, I support a couple of artists. You know, just I'm just contributing one pound a month. You know, towards yeah. uh, to, towards an outfit for Hungry Town as well. Um, whatever I can feel like I can manage, but it's it all of that all of those small individual contributions really add up, and I do my best. To, during the height of lockdown, I was putting out quite regularly these story behind, so, story behind the song and how to play videos where I would give little guitar tutorials on how to yeah. play various songs of mine. Then I got really busy with the album and all the series of videos and everything. So I'm afraid I haven't done one of the how to play videos for a while, but I do intend to get back to them because they and I also give out sheet music and chord diagrams and tablature and so on and that's going to form the basis of my next guitar book which I really do want to do so I will be getting back to it and as well the patrons could they get like special discounts I gave all my patrons a special um 10% off uh discount code to use on on the uh on the St. Burian Sessions album uh just to say thank you for for their support so it's a it's a lovely thing to do well, now Spinning Magazine is all about people that still love buying CDs and vinyl records. I can see from behind you, you have an extensive CD collection. So, And, and for supporting musicians, it is the physical album that really helps support you, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you know, we all know streaming is great to discover. So if those of you listening and watching this want to go and listen to the St. Burren Sessions when it's released, that's great. But if, you, if, you, if you're affected like I am when I heard it, you'll want to have your own copy as well. It's an absolutely beautiful album. Um, so I just want to say thank you very much, Sarah, um, for, for being with us on, on this podcast and video. I really appreciate your time. And again, everybody, please um, look up Sarah on her website. The details are below here, sarahmcquade.com and also Bandcamp page. And please buy the album. It's absolutely fantastic. And I said at the beginning, it's probably one of my albums of the year. Really is that good. And please support Now Spinning by going to nowspinning.co.uk forward slash podcast and subscribe to this podcast. But thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And I'll see you again. So thanks very much, Sarah. So. I hope, you know, what have you got planned? Oh, before I go, how could I forget? You've said you've got a tour coming up. So when, what, how can people find out about that? On the website, sarahmcquay.com, if they go to the tour page, all of the tour dates are, are listed there. And I will be doing tours, if you have listeners further afield, I will be doing tours in Europe and the USA next year, as well as uh, in Ireland and um and all around the UK, but the the album launch tour starts on the fifteenth of October and finishes on the twenty eighth of November, and then I'll be back out on the road again from January onward. I hope would be really nice. But thank you so much, Phil, for doing this. It's been really lovely chatting to you, and always lovely to talk to a, a fellow musician too. And thank you. Uh, I, I hope I get to hear you play <laughs> again one of these Who knows? days. Uh- <laughs> But thanks thanks very much, Sarah, and uh, good luck with the album release and good luck with the tour, and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you.